are listening to the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. Enjoy the show. <laughs> hey folks, Justin here with a quick word before we dive into this episode. First order of business. Happy New Year to all of you out there, and thanks for showing up to 2022 with us. We've got a big year planned with some major announcements guest-wise and production-wise we're going to be rolling out in the coming month or so, so stay tuned for that. A note before this episode featuring Mr. Jonathan Stark begins. This was recorded several months ago. With that being said, we do touch on Tom Holland's Fright Night comic, which we refer to as a novel during the interview. The medium change happened shortly after we spoke with Mr. Stark, whom you will all know from the Fright Night and House franchises. More news in regards to the comic, I will be doing a full review for the Fright Night comic for Rue Morgue magazine soon, so I will be sure to keep you all updated on that. And without further ado, welcome to Fright Night. For real. Greetings, boils and ghouls. This is your comrade, the Crypt Keeper here, reporting dead from the sanctuary of the strange. Tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature, one overflowing with monsters, madness, and magic. <laughs> Welcome to the Monsters, Madness, and Magic podcast. I'm your host, Justin, joined by my co-host, Angelique. Say hello, Angelique. Hello. This evening, we're joined by a very special guest, producer, writer, and actor whom you may recognize from films such as Fright Night, House 2, The Second Story, and Project X, Mr. Jonathan Stark. Jonathan, how the hell are you? I'm fine. How the hell are you? I'm doing pretty damn good. It's you, good to have you. Everything good down south there? We're all okay still? As good as it can be. Yeah. Yeah. It's storming right now, very humid, so hopefully my lights don't go out on you. Oh, yeah, yeah, I hear you. So take us back in time, man. What were you into as a youngster? What sort of movies, oh, comics, books, etc. were you devouring? Oh, yeah, I had comics. I mean, I, I always had comics, you know. I, I didn't, I had some superhero comics, but I remember mostly it was like, Archie. I liked Archie. Mm. I don't know why. Cause I, th I thought Veronica was so hot, but so kind of unobtainable. But Betty was really hot in her own way, too. So, And she was totally there for Archie, and he just didn't see it. I, I was like, come on, Archie. What are you, a jerk? What are you, an idiot? And, you know, I, I read some. I wasn't like a voracious reader. I read a lot more now than I did then. My thing was I got a really nice Sony reel-to-reel tape recorder for a birthday really a, a nice one professional one and i would spend a lot of my time up in my room making voices and you know you'd turn it out you'd, you'd do it really slow and then you'd turn it fast it would sound like album of the chipmunks and i'd write skits you know and my i'd have my friends come over and we'd record them and we'd just laugh at them that was kind of my childhood i had a pretty normal childhood i had a good bunch of good friends in my neighbor still i'm friends with a lot of them and Kind of movies were you watching were you a horror fan growing up oh yeah i was a big hammer film fan mm. we had a this was erie pennsylvania where i'm from and we had a theater called shays i can still remember it and it used to be a great theater you know they had vaudeville in there and all that stuff but it fell into kind of ruin and i think they've knocked it down now but they would do three hammer films on a saturday uh, start on saturday morning it'd be like six hours and my mother just was so happy to drop us off there and just <laughs> leave us there the whole day 
<laughs> and uh, the, oh yeah, I mean that's that was my thing. I'm still into horror films. I'm not as big a horror fan as some of the people that like Fright Night. They'll come up to me and go, "Oh, well, what about this thing in this this movie?" And I go, "I don't know, man. I, I I know some movies, but I don't. And I don't. I just watch them. I don't really have any theories about them. And you know, and you know more about it than I do. So talk to me and tell me what you think because I'm interested in it. I like it. I'm not a big vampire fan at least not the kind of gentle gent- gentlemanly sophisticated vampire i mean fright night's a little different that's you know it's chris he, he played it so differently but i like the ones like i just watched 30 days of night with my mm. daughter the more primal She's vampire primal as yeah. steak land 28 days you know those kind of well those are zombies more but they're you know those are kind of more my vampire my style of vampires i can get down with that so what made you want to pursue acting as a career initially like did were you a theater kid i used to do a lot of they had a, a group in the suburb of erie i grew up in mill creek and it was called the mill players and we would do they did for the summer they'd do three or four productions they'd run a couple of weeks weekends and i would go over there and i never had really big part because they were usually musicals and i don't have a musical voice so they would do stuff like they do the king and i and they had to use everybody that was the deal so they would put me standing on the edge of the stage whenever the king was there i'd stand on the edge of the stage like this holding my hand and i'd be like the guard so i could always i'd be on stage whenever the guard whenever the king came out it was one of those things where they would have to you were east indian or certain you, you were a person of some kind of color i don't remember what too much about it so they would put this makeup on us to change the color of our skin and and i I just, I didn't have any shirt on. So they put it all over my face and all over my upper body and every night. And then they finally said, oh, we're, we run out of stuff, man. So you got to wear it for a week. I was like, what? I can't take a shower for a week? <laughs> like, yeah, sorry. But that was, we did King and I, Anything Goes on a Clear Day, you can see, you know, kind of audience pleasers. That's dedication. That was fun. I loved it. I, we built sets and we were always involved in kinds of stuff. And then I went to college in Erie, PA. One of my, my one of my college roommates was a guy named Michael Patrick King, who did Come Back and what's the movie with the New York, the girls, uh, Sex in the City mm. and uh, and bro- Two Broke Girls. And so we, we, we had a lot of fun. He was in the theater department. So I had a major in art education. That's what I was going to be a teacher. I just kind of got involved with the theater department. I, I just, you know, I loved them so much because they'd have great rap parties and they were just funny and kooky. And the last, I think the year I got out of college, I was kind of hanging out in bars and I like, I'm thinking, I don't want to, I don't want to teach. I don't want to teach kids. I mean, I love kids, but I, I just didn't think I'd be that good a teacher and I didn't want to be a teacher that was not totally there for him. A friend of mine said, hey, they're doing a 1776 over at the college. And somebody just dropped out. You, you want to come over and do it? I said, yeah, I'll sure, I'll do it. I wouldn't do anything. So I did it, you know, and as soon as I went out on the stage, I said, yeah, this is, this is what I want to do. This is what I like doing. So I, I, I took that plunge. It's funny you said that you were hanging out in bars because I'm looking at your first credit here. It says that on a TV series named Dark Room, Man and Bar. So how oh, did yeah. that happen? <laughs> yeah, you know, Dark Room. I can't even remember Dark Room. It was so long ago. I don't even remember that what I did in it. But was, was that your first professional gig? No, I did a show called. No, my first professional gig. I got my SAG card. I was on General Hospital. Oh, shit. I had one line, one line, and I could get my SAG card because, you know, you have to have a line to get your SAG card, but you can't get your SAG card unless you have a line, so it's a catch-22 kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, I think there was some kind of big disease going around whatever the town was, and I had to come in and tell one of the leads, you know, 
doctor, the, the patient is bleeding out. I, I didn't really watch soap operas. So I figured you know, I'd do it real big, you know, so I come in and I go, doctor, doctor, the patient's bleeding out. I like hear, cut. And this woman, Gloria Monty, who ran the show at the time, I, I'm sure she's not around anymore, but she, I hear her those, these steps, these going down these metal steps. And I'm like, oh my God. And everybody's looking at me and she's like, just do the line. Okay, just, just do it. Yeah. And that was my first professional gig. Correct me if I'm wrong here. I'm looking at this Friday night was your first feature. It was, yeah. So I, take... was, I had done some television. I did in a dark room and some other stuff. And I was, you know, I was a member of the Groundlings. I got involved with the Groundlings. I'm an improviser. I've been improvising for forever and I still improvise. I still do, I do. I'm with three different groups. And now actually I'm doing my first live show on July 17th. And I'm so excited. Where's that live show going to be at? It's a place called Fanatic Salon down in Culver City. And they have some great improv down there. And they have a lot of different groups. And I'm with a group called the Transformers. We've been together for actually since 1993. Then I also do a Groundlings show sometimes. And I do a show called Immediate Theater that's run by my buddy Dan Castellaneta, who is also the voice of Homer Simpson. You may know. So I work with three different groups. Anyway, I was, you know, what was I, what was I saying now? How you landed the role in Fright Night. Right. right. I got to stop smoking pot. Um, no, don't do that. Okay. <laughs> and and I, I had kind of quit the Groundlings and I decided to go do an actual drama on stage and I went to a little theater and this was back when casting people in this town used to go to a lot of theater just to see new new plays and new people in the plays and I got a call from my agent said Jackie Birch came to see your play and would love you to come in and read for this new film and I said okay it's Fright Night and they told me about the character and sent me the sides I mean I didn't see the whole script I only saw the sides that I had to read and it's about it's this guy and he's big and he's hulking and he's you know and I'm thinking like well I'm big but I don't know if I'm hulking enough so I put socks in my shoes so I was even so taller so I'm, I'm I, I was six four I was probably six six at with the socks and my shoes and I put on like five undershirts and three shirts to really just get big you know and I'm sitting there in the waiting room and it was I don't remember when but it was, it was a warm day I'm sitting there just just sweating but I went in and I met and I think Tom was in there which was odd because usually you know you don't see the director there for the for your first reading and I took the sides and I thought I had this thought about it because that what as what you do as an actor you kind of say well how how do I approach this that would make it real for me and maybe make it different I don't know and I thought well what what would this guy Billy Cole be doing to throw the detective off would he be mean and evil no because the detective would go yeah something's probably happening here so he's probably going to try and try and be nonchalant kind of make fun of Charlie and kind of make him seem like oh this is yeah uh, whatever so I thought you know okay I'll just do that so I kind of did it and I said you know and I went oh you know I made that stuff up and all that stuff. I just, I just did it in there, and Tom was laughing, and I, they're like, okay, thanks. I left, and I got a call from Jackie within a couple of days, and I said, and Jackie said he, he really loves you. He, he wants you to part, and I was like, oh my god. But you know, they're casting a lot of people. I was probably there the first day or so, and I didn't hear anything for. You don't hear anything for a couple of weeks, three weeks, and in Hollywood, in this business, if you don't hear anything, it's probably. You didn't get it. Right. So I'm thinking like, oh God. So I'd call Jackie every week and I say, Jackie, you know, say, no, still want you, still want you. Okay. And I'm thinking, yeah, okay. It's going to come down. Somebody else is going to get it. You know, I got the call that I got it. And I was like, wow. Tom, the great thing about Tom and Jackie was that they really brought in some great people for the, mm -hmm. for the movie. They cast some amazing people. 
And most of the people, other than Chris, really didn't have a lot of film. I think Stephen did, and, and Stephen and Amanda did some stuff before, and so did Bill, but it wasn't like stars. He cast it the way he, he wanted it to look. He deserves so much credit for that, because you can have an, an amazing script, but if you don't cast the right people, it's not going to be an amazing movie. So he gets, you know, 90% of the credit for that movie. You touching on improv background is pretty much solidified, so you created Billy Cole as we know it. He wasn't the you know, ooh, guy initially, that's all you. No, I, I modeled him after a guy that bullied me in, in elementary school because I wanted him to be a bully, really. That right. was what I was playing most of the time. I mean, if you, there's a scene in there where we all, we're all in the house and Chris, uh, uh, Jerry says, well, let's all go in the living room and Charlie starts to go in and I just step in his way and I look at him, you know? Mm-hmm. And that was just me being a bully. They call us the quintessential asshole older brother. You know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yep. Yep. If I could have given him noogies, I would have. <laughs> I asked Tom the same question, but I want, I'm curious to see what your answer would be. Wait so a minute. Then... Tell what was I? Was that the question? The asshole you're older brother. No, I, the, a lot of people always, the first question I get from everybody is like, well, what were you, man? Oh, like you if you were like a vampire, a, zombie. Like a ghoul or what were you, dude? I, I say, I don't know. Ask Tom. He wrote it. I, he never told me, and that's not my problem. Go ask Tom. Yeah, that was not the question. I did not oh, okay. ask him that. Right. I did not ask him that. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> what I wanted to ask was, since it's been released, Fright Night is it's a classic horror film of our lifetime, me and Angelique. Looking back, what do you mostly attribute that magic to? In hindsight, could you tell there was something special going on? Not that there was something special, but I remember we all had fun. I did most of my stuff with Chris, and some of it was Chris and Billy, Ragsdale and I. And Chris and Billy and I would be sitting there laughing so hard, we would be just be cracking each other up. And Tom would go like, come on, you guys, okay, we got to shoot this. And we'd have to go, oh, okay. But we would always be laughing and having a great time. Now, I'm sure there were things that went on there that I don't know anything about because I was, you know, they would just bring me in when they needed me that were not as much fun as I had. But the whole time I was there, I, I just loved it. And, and Roddy was, everybody was great. I mean, Roddy was so sweet. I didn't work with him that much, but when we were around, you have a lot of downtime on set. So Roddy would just start telling tales of Hollywood and his life, and it was just fascinating. And I was so, I, th- I, I consider myself so fortunate that I got to hear some of those stories from him. So what exactly was the deal with Fright Night 2? If you don't know, it's fine, but they had William and Roddy returning, but that's about it. Do you know why Tom wasn't involved or what kind of happened there? You know, I don't know. Did you you did you ask Tom? Because I, I never did ask Tom about I That's one of the ones that slipped by. I really didn't get a chance to ask Tom much. You know, I just kind of let him talk and yeah. I just kind of sat back. That was <laughs> that's, what, that's what I do too. I just let him yeah. talk. Yeah. Shut up and I, listen. I think, I think the studio may have wanted to make it and Tom may have not felt that he had a good script because he always kind of, he wants to do something quality wise. I'm just guessing here. And they said, well, we're going to go ahead with something anyway and got somebody else to write it and to try and cash in on, on Fright Night, on the original. I, mm-hmm. I, I've i seen parts of Fright Night too. I, I don't think I've seen all of it. I get, I, it seems, I, I, from what I've seen, it seems fine to me, but you know, it's, it's hard to catch that lightning in a bottle again. Exactly. I, I don't think they managed to do it with the remake. There were some good things in the remake. I, I love the, the lead guy. Uh, Colin Farrell. He's terrific. But, you know, it's even if they would have 
I, I just thought they did some weird stuff with Peter Vincent and everything. I didn't really understand what that was, but I think what they what they did miss was the vulnerability in the characters and the as Peter was so achingly vulnerable and you felt for him. You you just felt so so much for him that he was this guy that was he had he had come to the end of his career and mm. just he was so sad and 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 you just felt for him. But the the, the Peter Vincent in that you, I didn't like him at all and he was kind of a drunk, wasn't he? I, I can't remember too much about. I have not seen the remake. And oh. Luke, have you seen it? No. Oh, gosh. You know where our loyalties lie. <laughs> I went to see it. I actually went to see it in a, a movie theater with Billy Ragsdale. I met Billy Ragsdale for lunch. And we said, I said, come on, let's go see it. He goes, okay. So we go in there, and just as we're walking in, they're taking down the poster for Fright Night. And we were the only people in the audience. So I figured it was probably not going to, you know, break any box office records. But I, I thought there was some good stuff in it. And uh, I'll watch Colin Farrell in anything. I love the end with all the. Well, you you see it. I like the end. <laughs> Remakes are always a slippery slope, you know. It's you got to be yeah. careful with them. It looks like your acting gigs picked up quite a bit after Fright Night's success. Would you say uh, it had a positive effect on you landing jobs right after? It probably did. I mean, if in in this town, if you're working, work begets more work. So I went in for I think it was I think it was House Two first. Again, I just used a lot of my improv skills. Mm-hmm. You know, just what kind of been the I actually like my work in House Two more than I like my work in Fright Night. I like Fright Night fine, but I had more fun. House 2 is more like me mm. and kind of the jerk asshole kind of guy, <laughs> which, which, I, which I tend to play pretty easily. <laughs> I had a blast doing it. I remember Bill Maher was there. Bill Maher was working on it, and he was very nice. He was very funny. I had a bl- again. I had, I I still am in, t- in touch with Ari. We had lunch well before the pandemic hit. We had lunch, and every once in a while, some something like will come up on eBay that that's house two related. Like somebody sells catter puppies, and so I'll send him. I say, come on, get one for your mantle. And- <laughs> <laughs> and so I was lucky again. I, I Ari was great, and everybody else in the production was terrific. You know, Amy Asbeck and Lar Park Lincoln, they were all so nice. Me and Angelique were just talking about House before you got in here. We think that's one of the underrated horror franchises because... The original, the first House is really good. I it gets it. overlooked because of the comedy attachment, I think, you know? Yeah, but but a friend of mine, George Went, was in it. And yeah. I, I was at, uh, and I, I they had a, a thing at a, when they, did you get the DVD thing, the Blu-ray thing? Not yet. I've got the first DVD release. Yeah, how- got the thing that they 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 put out were uh, all. Th- I think there's a third house to which I don't. I've never seen. They there's- had all three on Blu-ray, <laughs> and they had a little information thing and so we signed them all and i saw george there oh that's awesome one of your credits i'm just sitting here stare i had to stare at for a few minutes because i thought it was a fresh prince of bel-air tv movie oh. that i had missed out on right no no <laughs> but no that's not it's a bel-air yeah. <laughs> are they based off each other is that just a coincidence i uh no it's it is all white people in this one <laughs> uh, it was mark Harmon played like a pool guy and who ended up having a romance with kirstie alley and we were just his kind of goofy friends who were always kind of comedy relief you know because mark mark and and kirsty had the romantic lead so we were kind of the the comedy relief for them but it's funny i i, I met mark and then i met kirsty when i was on that and then i went i guess i don't know how many years later but i did a guest spot on cheers as a bartender as a temporary bartender and it was kirsty's first kirsty's first episode it was for her first episode there beginning of season six and she was terrified and she was the only i was the only person she knew so she kind of <laughs> she we kind of go to lunch and you know and, and she we'd, we'd hang out 
back because she didn't know anybody else there. And I don't blame her. She was pretty scary going in there and trying to be the new Diane. It looks like in the early 90s, that's when you started your transition to behind the camera. Was that something that you were always, were you using acting initially just to kind of get your foot in the door so that would happen naturally? Well, a friend of mine who was running Cheers at the time said to me, and I had done a lot of improv with him, a guy named Bill Steinkellner. He said, you you know, you guys, do you ever, do you ever write? And I said, well, no, I don't. He goes, well, you do improv, so you basically can write. You know, you write on your, in, in your head. So just, and I thought, yeah, you know, maybe I should, yeah. I could try it. So I grabbed my friend Tracy Newman and who was Lorraine's sister and I said, I said, let's let's try and write something. She said, Okay. So we spent two years writing scripts and sent one to them just kind of out of the blue. And they I got a call and they, they said, Do you wanna write on cheers? We love your script. Do you wanna start writing? And we said, Yeah, absolutely <laughs> we do. So so with a with a pedigree like cheers, it wasn't we worked pretty steady, pretty steadily. So it was something that was really a lark, but it turned out to be something that turned into a job. And right now I'm actually taking classes for voiceover, animation voiceover. Like it's I got my big mic right. tech here and it and sounds wanna, great by I the wanna, way. Huh? I say you sound great by the way. That's a good yeah, mic. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. <laughs> so so I'm I'm starting on that because I, I always try and I, I want to do something new. Would you say your time as an actor has helped you producing and writing? Oh yeah. I worked especially when I ran a show, when I ran according to Jim, I could talk to the actors the way actors want to be talked to. They want to be helped, not not ordered around. And they want to be respected and even and we had, when we had auditions there would always be respect when the actors came into the room because they've taken some time off they've driven there they're walking in they're not scared but they're they want the job so you, you you treat them with a little respect and you treat them like people who matter and you you know most actors don't understand that all the producers want you to be the net the one to get the job because they want to stop looking so they right. want you to be the one and there'd be a lot of times when we just sit there and go oh they're not the one okay all right, somebody else coming in. It's not hard to be nice to people. I've certainly been in plenty of rooms where I haven't, where I've walked in as a, to audition and some people haven't been so nice. So that, that kind of stays with you. Try and be nice, that's all. You were a co-creator on According to Jim. Did you make that show with Jim Belushi in mind or did you just have someone in mind and it just turned into Jim Belushi? Was he involved at all? Oh no, Jim was because we were on an overall deal there. Well, they just they just keep, they just pay you to be, to be there to write scripts. And we had written a lot of different pilots that they weren't interested in. And they said, well, you know, we got Jim Belushi. We don't think he's a lead, but you give it a, sh just meet with him. And I said to Tracy, I said, I don't know. And she said, well, I think he's sexy. And I went, what? She says, I just do. I'm sorry. I think he is. And I said, well, that's that's good. And then I thought I'd, I'd watch a couple of his movies because I didn't really watch anything. And there's one where he plays, I wish I could remember the name of it. He plays Mini Drivers. He's married to, oh God, I can't think of her name now, Second City Woman. And she plays Mini Driver's sister. Anyway, they have their family. That's kind of the story of Mini Driver and David Duchovny. She gets David Duchovny's ex-wife's heart. So they become, it's a long convoluted story, but the, but the scenes with, with Jim, Bonnie Hunt, Jim and Bonnie Hunt are really funny. And I said to Tracy, I said, I can write this guy. We can write this guy. <laughs> so we wrote a script and, and he loved it. I never thought it would go. I, I thought, well, we'll write it. It'll never go. And Tracy said, eh, maybe. And, said, and then this, then we got, they said they were going to make the pilot. I said, all right, they'll make the pilot, but it'll never go past that. And then I said, no, it'll only go six episodes. It'll go a season. I'm like Mr. Downer. And it ended up going 183 episodes. What's the turnaround on an episode? Do you have the whole season written before you guys go in? Or are you constantly trying to stay ahead? It's, it depends on, I've worked on shows where people are writing the show the night before they have the table read. I hated that because I, I don't like writing like that. So you're always at least 
I don't know, three or four scripts ahead, mm-hmm. but you don't write the whole season because you don't really know how the season's going to play out. And if you have an arc for your season, then you've got to kind of see how that arc is going to go, what where they're going to go for that season. You just try and stay ahead of it. The, 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 the actors work three weeks or three episodes, then they get a week off. And when I first started writing, I thought, oh, that's great. The writers get a week off. <laughs> I didn't realize the writers don't get a week off. <laughs> no, you have to sit there and work to get to get ahead of everybody. But the nice thing is you, you get to go home a little earlier than you normally would. Always want to go home early. Yeah, especially if you have kids. My kids were little at the time, and it was kind of important for me to get home. I kind of skipped over this. Speaking of Fright Night 2, Tom's releasing his own version of Fright Night 2 in novel form. Have you had a chance to read it? Yeah, any updates? I'm 80 us? pages into it. What and do you I think? Lo- I love it. It's really good. It, it, I don't know. I don't know what to say because he, he hasn't said what I can say or not. I think it, I think Friday Night fans are gonna really enjoy it because it, it, it follows the the, the kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously not Jerry and Billy, but there is some mention of them in there, and that's I guess all I can say. But somebody once said to me, "Well, you guys gonna come back in another another episode?" I said, and I talked to Chris about that, and I said, "Chris, did you hear that?" You know, somebody said we should come back, and I and he goes, "Who?" Who's ever heard of old vampires? You don't get old when you're a vampire. You stay the same age. And I said, yes, that's exactly right. So mm-hmm. I don't know what we'd... Maybe he'd put us as neighbors or something. I don't know. Can you tell us how long after it takes after the first story? Like how much time has passed? It's immediately. Gotcha. Immediately okay. after the first story. Okay, I don't want to get you in trouble. So you've worked with a lot of directors since Tom. What would you say stands out about him the most? What makes him different? Well, Tom was a guy who would really take was was a very creative person he would take people's ideas how many directors if i went hey how about if i go and go Ooh, how many directors would let me do that he let me do it because he wanted it he wanted there to be comedy in it. that was important to him and a lot of some not some not all of it but some of the comedy was not in there when we shot it and i mean chris you know just came up with this stuff that was funny without being it wasn't sitcom or anything but it was just funny you know by the way he would say things or the way he would do things and billy they all they all had good comedic moments in that and Tom wrote some of that and some of that that just came out came up on the set and he was like yeah let's put it in and you want a director to be collaborative with the actors that's really important and like I said that just contributed the whole idea of everybody having fun that's the most important thing and if the actors are having fun I find that it, it comes across on the screen and the audience takes that in too and that's what leaves that lasting impact you know I think that's really the hallmark of Fright Night is that we were having fun and we were having fun being evil or whoever we were we were having fun doing that Stephen was different Stephen was a little different he was I never ever actually asked him if he was a method actor or what but Stephen was very he was staying scary I really didn't talk to him very much at all and I didn't know him too much until we started doing the horror cons and then we became fast friends and he's just a wonderful guy so to date what would you say is the best filmmaking slash acting advice that you've received wow that's a good one you know I was just listening I'm, I'm doing an audible book with Mike Nichols the Mike Nichols audible book which I highly recommend it's so good about theater and film and acting and all this stuff I think the best acting advice I ever got was just find the character within yourself don't try and be anything else and you know what a lot of people I know friends that are, that are actors and other people that play villains it's a lot of fun because we all have that in us I can be mean I used to I used to kill ants with a magnifying glass when I was little <laughs> so I know what it's like to be that like <sighs> So, so you have to find those little things in your in you that are that. Somebody once said to me, I forget what it was, but somebody said, I don't, 
I, I, how does it feel to kill somebody? I, how can you have glee in killing somebody? I said, well, did you ever see a mosquito on your hand and you let it fill up with blood and you just sit there and you go, then you go, bam! And it's like, it's, oh, it's exciting, you know? So you just have to find those things that you can relate to in the character. If he's mean or pompous or an asshole or whatever he is, you, they're, they're all in us, you know, all those things. Well said. So have you seen any good movies during the lockdown? I watch a lot of them with my daughter and her boyfriend because my daughter was, didn't start out a horror fan, but now she's really likes it. Like the I, the first horror movie, or even close to horror movie, I showed her was The Frighteners when she was like maybe six or seven, and it freaked her out when Garrett uh, Jake Busey is going through the walls. That just freaked her out, and she didn't watch movies horror movies for a couple years after that. And then she started getting into them again. I'm trying to think of one. Well, I I showed her my favorite horror movie of all time, which is the original Haunting, uh, nineteen sixty four oh, yeah. version, which is genius. I mean, it's just genius. The the remake is it's fine. The remake's fine for what it is. I mean, you know, you have to do that now for audiences. But what you don't see is what can be the scariest sometimes. And a good a good friend of mine, Tab Murphy, who I'm actually having a beer with after this, he's a screenwriter, and he just got done doing a re rewriting the movie The Changeling. Oh, that's very and cool. And that's gonna go that's gonna go into production, and it's a lot scarier because he sent it to me, and I go, not scary enough, not scary enough. So, and he made it. It's it's really good, and I think they're gonna do it in Ireland. And I said to him, you know, Tab, just be aware that the scariest thing an audience for an audience is what's in their own head, not what you can show them. Mm-hmm. And and he really, you know, he has he's done a wonderful job with it. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. Yeah, that's great news. I didn't even know there was a remake in the works for that. I have a couple of questions. Fright Night, your your death scene is just phenomenal. And of course, House Two, you worked with a lot of special effects and the, the animatronics and everything like that. Do you prefer you? know a lot of effects going on or do you like more of a simple kind of just actor driven production you know i'm happy to do this the effects i i like to act but the effects are stifling they're really hard i i had this i had to for the actual melting you can see where they changed from me to the, the thing they made but i had to go down to a warehouse in santa monica which is 10 miles from here the special effects warehouse and they had stand there and I had to stand there and they put these things through my hair of, of blood, which is basically caro syrup that's red and, and the goo. And I stood there for, I don't know, two, three hours with that stuff just pouring down on me and going, this is really, I, I want to be done with this. I'm just so tired of this. <laughs> and finally, they said, all right, that's a wrap. Great. I said, okay, great. Where can I shower? They said, oh man, our plumbing's gone. We, we, we can't shower. I said, so we, I have to drive home like this? Sorry, man. Okay. So, all right. So I get in my car and I start driving and I realize that I'm not going to make it home. I got to get gas. And I've got, I mean, I've got green goo and blood <laughs> all over me. I pulled into the gas station. I thought, I'm not going to pump my own. Uh, so, but I, but I wait, the guy comes out, pumps the gas for me and I hand him a 10, but he, you know, I'm thinking, I'm trying, don't look in, don't look in. And of course it goes like this, looks in, and it's like this. And I was like, okay, see ya. <laughs> he probably thought I had killed somebody. I got scarred for life. When you see that scene, just think of me hating that you know you had to do i didn't even put my hands up it was somebody else's hands and but it was just it was it was horrible but you know i i i, I love doing the movie and that's part of what you do you just you do what you have to do that's and why I was, there's no way i was going to disappoint tom i mean i i would do anything for tom i've given tom anytime i find some kind of crap from 
the movie in the in the garage i give it to tom because i found the skull i tom kept saying where's the skull and i said it's in a box in the garage somewhere i just got i don't know where it is tom and finally one day i was going through some stuff i found it i called him and he said oh i gotta have it so if you i have by the way my facebook page is real the real billy cole a real it's just real billy cole so go to that i try and post some stuff i i actually posted a picture of tom's i was at tom's house and there's a he's got a whole setup there he's got the wolf head from from that evil ed changed into mm-hmm. it and on both sides are Chucky's one of them was actually used in the movie and so I took a picture of that and I, I post stuff every once in a while that I cool. think is interesting to Fright Night people or horror fans in general has your daughter seen Fright Night you know they tell me they have I think they've only seen parts of it you know, they, it's just like I'm not going to tell them to watch it I, I know they haven't seen House 2 <clears throat> I don't know for sure if they have they kind of say yeah no, yeah, I've seen it but I don't, I don't think they do like my younger daughter's boyfriend I said have you seen it he goes I saw part of it you know so I'm, I'm just annoying dad at home what's your go to movie snack like what's that one thing that just makes the, the movie watching experience perfect you, know, you mean in a theater or at home whichever at home I tr- uh, it's got to be Oreos but not the dark ones the blonde ones and then if I go to a movie theater there used to be this great movie theaters chain called Arclight here in LA which was great because they showed the best movies you couldn't talk no texting that's my kind of place where you can actually go see a movie and nobody's talking and they had the best caramel corn I've ever had in my life, and that was that was my snack. I do not like popcorn. My wife is a big popcorn fan. I hate it, so I have to disguise the taste with something like caramel corn. So, Jonathan, what else do you have on the horizon? Where can folks find you? Well, I'm I'm working on. I've got four scripts, television scripts out there right now that are kind of circulating. And you know, now that things are starting to pick back up again, we'll see. I, I don't know, you know, but I'm teaching a writing class too. I teach class every once in a while to a bunch of kids and to help them learn writing and online zoom class that's kind of it what i'm doing right now other than painting the uh patio furniture i mean that's pretty much it somebody's got to paint the patio furniture somebody's got to do it it's not going to be anybody else <laughs> yeah. in my family i'll tell you that before we go we didn't get a chance to talk about this i do want to talk about working with chris because mm. chris was yeah. a he was sent from heaven for me because I had seen him in Dog Day Afternoon and really I think one of the best film performances I ever saw I couldn't believe he played Pacino's uh, lover in that movie and he was have you seen that movie? I have not. Watch it. Watch Dog Day Afternoon. Watch Chris in it. It's stunning how good he is. I, I really thought he was that guy. And then when he got cast, we had two weeks to rehearsal before we actually did anything, which was unheard of for a movie. And I got to meet him and we did a whole biography, a whole kind of history of who we were together and all this stuff. And, and in that two weeks, he was so wonderful to me and treated me with respect and treated me like a friend. And we're still friends to this day. He helped me do the rewrite we did a, we did a, a, I don't know if you, you know, we did this thing back in October. We did the show live. He helped me edit this, the original script so we could do it. And he's, he's just, and I stopped by when I was <clears throat> back East, I stopped by his house. Once I thought, oh, I'll just say hi. And he's like, no, come on. We, we made lunch for you. We made lunch. Joanna and I made lunch for you. So we, I hung out there for the afternoon. He showed, he's got this garden that's as big as a house and he works in the garden and I want to ask you before you go, you said you were mentioned that you were uh, watching several, uh, writing several shows. At this point in your career, do you prefer television to film? Well, I have two film scripts out there. I have not done film yet, so it's hard to say. I do. Mm-hmm. I love television. You know, I love doing TV. It's, it's like doing a little play every week when you do it 
for an audience. It's different for single camera stuff, but but the stuff I've done mostly is multicam, which is three or four cameras. So it's like doing a little play every week, and so it's 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 a lot of fun. It's a lot of pressure. It's a hard job, but they pay you well for it, and you have a lot of fun too because you're you're hanging out with a bunch of comedy writers, and that's not a bad deal. Probably a fun time. It is. Well, Jonathan, it's been a pleasure, my friend. Our door is always open to you. Nice to meet you. Uh, go back to your graveyard. Go back to your. Are you actually? <laughs> are you just? <laughs> Angelique can crawl back in her grave, yeah, and I'm going to go, go eat some dinner. <laughs> That's really nice talking to you guys. Thanks for having me. You too, man. Thank we'll you. be in touch. You've got my All email. Right. Have a good one. <laughs> Take care, guys. Welcome to the night. You think you know Night Demon? Then the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast is for you. Step into the darkness as we peel back the curtain to give you an unprecedented, all-access look into the mind and the heart of the demon. We're talking band history, song analysis, studio anecdotes, stories from the road. It's everything a diehard Night Demon fan could want and more. This is the only place to learn the inside scoop, the deep dive trivia, the untold tales from the band members themselves and those closest to the Night Demon story. Need more? The sacred Night Demon crypt will be pried open to reveal demo recordings that have never before seen the light of day all with in-depth commentary by the band and the people who were there for the writing and recording process. This is a gold mine, a treasure trove of all things Night Demon. Head over to nightdemon.net or wherever you listen to podcasts.